0: To say that, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host from in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Jed Brewer. Season's greetings. That's right. And being that Jed and I are in the Chicagoland area, that season's greeting is gray and brutal. <laughs> With us all the way from Oak
1: Tennessee, is Lee Younger. When Jed started pronouncing the word seasons, I was thinking of seasoning. And I thought he was oh, going to yeah. talk about how well his dinner was seasoned. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed.
2: Yeah, yeah, a little, little, little nutmeg, a little, little, cloves. You know, it's nice warming Although, spices. I did see Jed post on
1: Facebook today that you can put eggnog on your breakfast cereal, and no one can stop you.
0: It's true; they can't, but someone should stop you. <laughs> <laughs> I am very uh, anti-carceral states. I'm pretty close to our prison abolition at this point, but I do believe if you're getting pouring eggnog on your breakfast cereal some kind of SWAT team should kick your door down and detain you for your own health and well-being. That's an intervention moment. Sir, put down the eggnog. Sir, this is a class four nogging. Put your hands behind your back, For the good of your soul! (laughs) I'm
3: pouring it! I'm pouring it!
0: I do believe in prohibition, but only for eggnog.
2: Totally fair. (laughs) Totally fair.
0: Well, speaking of substances that maybe you could, and maybe you should, or maybe you shouldn't, before we get into your fine questions this week, we have to declare a business opportunity emergency. Oh, what?
1: We usually like business opportunities.
0: That's true. And normally when we talk about these, they're business opportunities for us. And for a number of reasons that you're going to see as we get into the story, this one is probably not that. Oh. But it is a really interesting one, and it's kind of a... When Jed sent the, the link of this article around to Lee and I, we thought to ourselves, I can't believe we haven't heard of more people trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> the headline from relevantmagazine.com reads, Mega Church Pastor Wants to Grow Weed on Church Property. Megachurch <laughs> <Where? laughs> Mega Church Pastor Jamal Bryant wants to reach the masses, and he's got an unorthodox strategy to do it. The pastor of Atlanta's new birth missionary Baptist church talked about his plans during a recent appearance on the Cool Sorer S-O-R-O-S-O-R-O-R, which is not a word I've ever encountered before in my life. Podcast with cool. Rashawn Ali. New birth is the largest landowning black church in America, Bryant said. My position of my deacons is why aren't we why are we not raising cannabis? <laughs> and I guarantee right you there was someone who was tuning out in the middle of that deacon's meeting who snapped to real quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it does give a
1: whole new meaning to the idea of you know, uh, uh, the kind of pastor that doesn't read beat around the bush goes right at the issue at hand, the blunt speaker.
0: Oh, well done. Well done. Well done. And dear listener, it's time to prepare you because one of the things in discussing this before we got on air, we, one of the crossovers we realized between the, uh, mar- the marijuana community and the church community is a love of puns. Oh, yes. And herein, the Venn diagram shall be overlapping.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the bowl of wrath from the book of
2: Revelation takes on a whole new meaning. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, the bottom line, Scripture's clear. His ways are higher than our <laughs> ways.
0: <laughs> That's right. See, it's, it's a veritable floodgate of branding and cute title opportunities. There's one right. thing the church loves is the opportunity to do that.
1: Yeah, I mean yeah. Solomon dedicated the temple and lo, the temple filled with smoke. <laughs>
0: well, that's in the Bible, y'all.
1: Yeah. I can't yeah. tell you how many times
0: how many times
1: in high school people looked at me and said, "Look, it says it right there in the book of Genesis, all seed-bearing
0: plants, my man." Yeah. <laughs> More than I expected, to be honest. <laughs> Yes, beyond just the pun opportunities, which are very important. In some way, this does raise some interesting questions, because I don't know about, I think this church is in Atlanta, so I don't know if Georgia is on the, the fully decriminalized yet, but in many states, including the state of Illinois, uh, marijuana is just legal. Sure. Right? sure. So that's uh, if that was your holdup before, for because for a lot of years, youth pastors who didn't want to answer that question really, really danced behind the, well, you, you know, it's illegal, and you know, Romans thirteen and whatnot. So I'm not going to talk about what I did when I was in high school. So no, but now <laughs> you know, historically, particularly in uh, in Western Europe, monks have brewed a lot of beer. Fair point. So I'm just saying there's a certain amount of precedent to uh, you know your church has a coffee shop. Yeah, in some nations, yeah. coffee shops carry other things.
3: <laughs> you
1: know, there are some there there's a whole like branch of, of kind of theological, like one of the theological arms of the Christian faith is the dispensationalists. Hmm. And so I can see like, you know, in some, in some big mega church full of branding, you got the coffee shop in the, in the foyer and it's got some cute name um, that has to do from, you know, from the scriptures with your, with your coffee or whatever. Well, as we talked about in a previous episode, the uh, Shadrach, Meshach and a bean to go. Yeah. yeah, that's very good. But uh, right next to that, you have the uh, dispensationalist dispensary oh. right there in the
3: foyer.
2: Oh, that was, that was well done, sir. That was well done. Yeah. Well, I think here's, here's the thing, right? What I wonder is I imagine, you know, a fair number of pastors, you know, probably aren't too, too keen on all of this, but I, what I wonder is, would a toked up congregant make a better audience for a not Ooh. terribly good sermon? Right? Like you're you're against the gange until you're on minute 41 <laughs> of your your deep dive into Malachi and you're you're pulling out the Spurgeon quote, and you got, you know, Jim Jimbo's in the third row back's like, Yeah, man, I get it. I get it, man. Amen. <laughs> like maybe in that moment, you're like, you know what? every every good herb the Lord created is to be received with Thanksgiving. I don't know. I'm just saying, I think pastors could be brought around. Yeah.
0: Now there's certainly the, the making the boring sermon more tolerable. I think also for our friends who really enjoy their lighting rig, this would you want people to appreciate your lighting rig. (laughs) Ask any planetarium.
1: They will tell you. (laughs) Yeah. Also there's like, you know, the, the really contentious elders meeting that the pastor's not looking forward to, and yeah. you just serve some brownies before that meeting without sure, really any, absolutely. letting anybody know. And then all of a sudden, you know what? That uh that new expenditure on the budget, that new line item pastor put on there, it seems like a real good idea, man. I just think it's all chill. Why why would the fighting?
0: Yeah. You know, I th- well, I think love. that gets some uses with the congregants as well. Um, let's say you're a pastor. People have been expressing opinions about things like immigration, so it falls to you to tell them what the scripture says about it. Which is essentially there should be open borders at all all times. That's what the Bible actually says, kind of about how you treat immigrants. So, you know, it may not go down extremely smooth. Just you know, hey, grab a gummy bear on the way in. No reason. Just <laughs> hey, Miss Sarah, how you doing? You want to have two gummy bears this morning? <laughs> I
1: love the idea of, uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud. As a former Baptist, I feel like a tick happening to me, but like the idea of like spiking communion. Oh. (laughs) And then just, (laughs) then just whatever you want to say along those lines, everybody's just really cool with all of a sudden at the end of that service, man. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Lead the Baptist Angle also brings up what to me was a very interesting facet of this, where this to become mainstream. Which is, I guarantee you would still have Christians who were weird about alcohol, but just onboarded the weed thing. Yeah. Like, there would definitely be churches that that have dispensaries in them, but still do grape juice for communion because (laughs) we don't want to risk it. Yeah, Yeah.
2: that's totally true. That's totally true.
0: I believe the term for that is, and I believe there's a real thing, California sober.
2: (laughs) Is that real?
0: Where you don't drink, but you do do weed. Yeah, I believe that is an actual thing.
2: Wow. Wow. Well, and of course we also have to acknowledge that if you, you know, if people uh, get a, you know, a little bit high with the most high that like that may also, (laughs) that, that, that may drive uh, attendance to the fellowship luncheon afterwards, you know, those munchies, you know, I mean, you know, you need, you need to feed and, you know, it's, 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 it's a way to promote fellowship y'all. That's the thing. It's about togetherness.
0: Now that would be. hard to argue. To, Leah's mentioning meetings, and that would be one you would have to have with kind of the, in most churches, kind of the group of, of women, um, older women normally, who take a lot of pride and effort into putting in the potluck. Or maybe, you know, there's a guy who really wants to, you know, do the do the chili the night before. And you all right, you, before you roll this out the first week, you got to tell them, we're going to need to think double, triple portions here. Because... <laughs> This is about to be a whole situation. <laughs> if you're going to make banana, p- banana pudding, you need to think that not pot. Yeah.
2: That's right. Yeah. <laughs> this is no lie. So when I was in college, there wasn't weed, but there was middle of the night Burger King all the time. And so I, I got to know the guy that. That's
0: right. Jed didn't need weed to do that. Some people do, but that's because they're weak. Yeah, that's right. They're like fortitude right. was- and dedication.
2: I was powered by onion rings, and um, the the guy who was the night shift manager at the Burger King across from my school, I got to I got to know him pretty well, kind of embarrassingly well. That
0: is the most Jed Brewer sentence ever, yeah. in the sense of just easily making contact with people, but also those people being the people who are at the Burger King at one a.m.
2: Hey Jed, yeah, that's, hey Terry, yeah, that's, that's
0: could you right. please
1: stop <laughs> calling me by my first name,
2: <laughs> Mister Jed, please. So, I'm asking Terry one time, I'm like, "What's? <laughs> like what's the weirdest order you've ever had?" And he's telling me about a dude and I don't know what drug it was. It could have been weed. But he's telling me about a guy that came in and wanted a whopper with 37 burgers on it. Like 37 <laughs> patties.
0: <laughs> that is incredibly specific.
2: <laughs> and, and his Ur-ur-ur- his hamburger came out to like $58. I mean, it was, it was an
0: investment. Yeah. Wait, Terry.
1: God, that's awesome.
0: (laughs) Terry, Terry saw that there was an opportunity for greatness here and he was not going (laughs) to let that pass him by. Yeah. Yeah. So Jed, are you insinuating that there also might be an offering related incentive for pastors
2: for this? Yes. Yes. You gotta, you know. You got to figure out, you know, like when is when are people starting to feel, you know, they're most sanctified and you do the offering then, you know, and, and they just, you know, the, the generosity flows.
0: Yeah, there's there's a time tested method in, in nonprofit stuff and, and a lot of churches use this as well of kind of building the big emotional crescendo and maybe they sing the song or play the video or whatever, and then they they do the check drop or pass the plate or whatever it might be. And if you added in getting people super baked to that
1: <laughs> well i mean I, the in you know behind the scenes, the method is just simply called puff, puff, give. <laughs>
2: Yeah. All right. (laughs) Here's the, here's the true sociological experiment that I want. Okay. We, we start with a true fact, which is that like, there's an industry of what are referred to as church growth consultants. If you're starting a church and you hope it to ever be more than about 25 people in attendance, you probably at some point are going to hire um, a church growth consultancy firm. This is just. Very, very common, and definitely, if you're trying to do anything in the mega church model at all, you are for sure working with a church growth consultancy firm, and they have fairly standard things like if you're wondering why the music is the same at basically every church you go to, that's why, because there are these consultancy firms basically say this is this is what you do, this is how you do it. But I want us to launch a church growth consultancy firm that is entirely weed driven, <laughs> including our patented puff puff give strategy. And I want us to come in in suits, (laughs) red power ties, clean shaven and give this totally straight laced. We're not, we're not acknowledging that there's anything about this. That's weird at all. And just see how many churches in Chicago land. Can we get to go for puff puff give?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the answer is definitely going to be depressingly high. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever your bar for that is. If it's only three, we're definitely going to get that. (laughs) the interesting part to me would be when this is presented to an elder board or if it's like a presbytery like you know the full bot whoever has to vote on it i bet you'd get some interesting yeses yeah i bet you get some i didn't see that coming (laughs) much like uh, because again marijuana is legal here in the state of illinois and when you occasionally be driving somewhere around here and see a dispensary and it'll there'll be a line out the door because you know people like this stuff, and it is, it is not always what you'd expect in an interesting <laughs> nope. way. <laughs> nope.
2: Well, one thing that is worth acknowledging, and I offer I offer no endorsement or judgment in in this observation, but there are there are sects of Protestantism that generally descend from German Pietism and then get involved in kind of um, Pentecostalism, where one of their beliefs is that. The idea of really getting drunk is an extremely modern thing that, you know, uh, alcohol, as we think of it today, is only a few hundred years old. And that, you know, in in the times of of the Bible and Jesus went not, it was, you know, really just grape juice that barely had anything in it at all. And here's the thing. I can't put into words how not true that is. People have been obsessed with getting as stoned as possible long before recorded history. Like yeah. that is, again, not endorsing it, not opposing it, just noting that is a historical fact that people have been trying to get as baked and obliterated as they possibly can for as long as there have been human beings. Well, it,
1: um, you know, Matt and I both have history degrees, and I think basically like the, the idea of civilization like congealing, like human beings in disparate tribes and groups coming together in any formal way was basically when they figured out Oh man, this fermented drink we just discovered. Check this out, <laughs> and that's when civilization really started. We can get high together. Let's have a city. Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, there. To the alcohol part, there was recently some somebody re- redid some research. It comes out every once in a while, and the thing is, the conclusion that historians universally come to is, for modern people, you cannot conceive of how drunk the average person was all the time, <laughs> like pre 1920, yeah. like I get some, I can't find the number I'm looking for. It, some unholy amount of. ounces that the average person drank per day and pretty much all hard liquor. Like one of the things <laughs> that happened in the late 1800s, early 1900s, like one of the concessions post prohibition was like, well, literally, well, I guess we can switch out beer for the four whiskeys a day I drink. <laughs> when you, if you're a modern person, you probably wondered, how did prohibition ever get passed in the United States? There was a reason. <laughs> oh, gosh. And that's another pitch. You can say, hey, Baptists, do you think that drinking is evil? So do we. And we've got an answer. <laughs> now, credit to whoever wrote this relevant magazine article. The author's name is Emily Brown because they go through this. It's laying out you know, with quotes. This pastor is talking about wanting to bring in uh, black males to his church, about how destigmatizing marijuana is a way to destigmatize a certain uh, sector of the population that he wants to get into his church. It's all wonderful. And the last line is just this just one problem for Brian's plan, though. Marijuana is not legal in the state of Georgia. Well, well- there you go. But I would like if a very, very unlikely coalition of Baptist pastors were the ones who started pushing it through.
1: That would be incredible. And I think that's going to be on the heels of our church growth consultancy firm, fellas. That's right. That's right.
2: That's How right. I think that art incorporated.
0: <laughs> ha. Yeah. And when the joke lands that hard,
2: that's when it's time to declare
0: oh, emergency off because we've been doing this podcast for a while and Lee and I both have a sense for when we're not going to beat the thing Jed said yeah. and how <laughs> dank thou right. art
2: is right there. Thank you. Thank you.
0: So with that said, we will move on to your fine questions. If you have a question for us, you can hang out this all the way to the end. I'll use some ways to, get to touch this where you can scroll down to your episode description wherever you're listening, click the links or copy the email address you find there. Our first question comes in and says, I did something that would hurt my partner if they found out, and I don't know how they would react, but I feel guilty for not telling them. What should I do? And a a very good question. We are certainly always thankful for the honesty people write in with, uh, the trust they uh, put in us to uh, bring these types of situations to us. It is going to be one of those things where uh, we're going to talk about a more general idea. We don't know exactly what this thing was, so we may be speaking in a... Significant swath of possibilities, uh, so just take that into account. But on on one end, we may have a ah, you know, I told I didn't pick up the dry cleaning, and I knew I said I was going to, but can I just pretend like I didn't say that and see if I can get away with that? You may have something all the way up to infidelity or whatever it is. You know, it's, we're gonna hit a big swath here, but Jed, within that, when we're thinking of generalized kind of left and right limits on the. The fessing up versus trying to get away with it. Where would be a good place for us to start?
2: Man, that's a great question. I mean, the truth, of course, is that the details do matter. Um, You know, you said you did something, (laughs) and something is surely the operative word there, man. Um, this is going to come down, I think, to left and right limits. So let's look at two intentionally extreme cases, both extremely minor and extremely not minor. So. Um, if you are married, you said partners, so I don't know if you're married or not. If you're in a committed relationship with someone for any length of time, sooner or later, an unkind thought about them is going to enter your brain. Um, you know, they, they will have forgotten to do something or whatever, and you, you will think something unkind. There are people in this world who have an overactive conscience who would feel like I, I should confess my unkind thought to my partner. And, um, no, you should not do that. That, that is, that is a bad idea. Uh, Jed,
0: yes, I I, not to steal your story, but it comes to mind of you years ago meeting with a pastor that we were doing some work with <laughs> who uh, misidentified or forgot his wedding anniversary. Yeah. And Jed, in a very kind, just trying to, you know, be smooth play, I was like, oh, well, I won't tell. And he, and this pastor, bless him, very nice guy, good dude, responds, oh, I'm I'm going to tell her as soon as I get home that I forgot that. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a true story. And that's he, a true story. He's still married. Uh, so yeah. that worked for him. Not necessarily how I would have played that one, but you know, we all, we all have our different strategies. Yeah. I mean,
2: like every relationship is different. So you do you, but like if you in casual conversation at a business meeting with a stranger, you've just met, if you get your anniversary off by a week, like you're, you're actually not under any obligation to go home and tell your partner that you misestimated your anniversary. Like there's, uh, that's weird, man. You don't have to do that. But on the other extreme, which is a literal thing that I knew a person who did, if you take out a second mortgage on your house without informing your spouse, like, you you probably do need to talk about that, Um, and for for a lot of reasons.
0: But, Jed, what if my horse comes in and they don't ever need to know? (laughs) I've got a system, you see.
2: Yeah. Well, so, like... In terms of figuring out of divining the difference here and what do we do, one thing that I do want to encourage you to, to look at is if you're having problems in a relationship, you just you individually, you can go talk to a relationship counselor. Mm-hmm. You you can go talk to a marriage counselor or a relationship counselor and kind of describe what you're dealing with and, and get some input. That that's something you can do. And maybe this is a situation where you want to do that, but here here are a few things to consider. I I ultimately don't have a you should do X piece of advice for you here both because all relationships are different and because I don't have any idea what it is that you did. So um, it, it would be hard to say, but one thing that might be worth considering is ask yourself this. If I knew they were going to find out, how would I want to play this situation? Good, yeah. If it was an inevitability that sooner or later, the truth would come to light here. How would I want to play this situation? What would reduce the hurt feelings on their part what would reduce the sense of betrayal on their part what would reduce the practical problems here like if you take out a second mortgage on your home true story not made up if you do that there are practical implications so what what would reduce those one of the things that i think is worth looking at is the following is not true in all scenarios but it is true in an awful lot of scenarios usually the cheapest price to pay is right now. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I want to say that again. I want you to think about that. Not all the time, but much of the time, the cheapest price to pay is right now. And that is particularly true when there are non-emotional consequences that you're dealing with. If there's a legal reality here, if there's a financial reality here, if there's a logistical reality here, getting ahead of that is going to make everything so much easier than waiting. If it's something where there are only emotional implications, that's not necessarily as true. But if there are non-emotional implications, again, legal, financial, logistical, kids, et cetera, medical implications, almost always the cheapest price to pay is right now. Two more thoughts, and I'm, I'm going to kick it over. The first is, I want you to do the thought experiment of what if I knew they were going to find out. And here's part of why I ask this is, above a certain level of bigness, your partner is going to find out. Most people are terrible at keeping secrets. I mean, really, really terrible. Like, if you had an unkind thought of, like, they didn't take out the laundry, what a jerk. Like, they won't, they can't peer into your brain, so they, they won't know that. But, like, dude, if, if you've cheated on your partner, they're going to find out. Like just by the odds, they're, they're going to find it like you are not as good of a liar as you think you are. That's, that's, you know, thing one and, um, anything that involves other human beings, which again is not necessarily just infidelity that includes financial arrangements, all kinds of things where other people are involved, the ability to keep a secret goes to almost zero. So it, it would be a safe guess that if there's any level of complexity here, they're going to find out. But, but here is, is the last thing is. There's a saying in addiction recovery, we're only, seek, we're only as sick as the secrets we keep. Um, I don't know what you did. I don't know if it's a big deal or not. I know you feel guilty about it. That doesn't intrinsically make it a big deal because plenty of people do have an overactive conscience and plenty of people do struggle with false guilt, particularly people who have been raised in evangelicalism, which really messes up people's ability to figure out what is a big deal and what's not. So I don't know if it was a big deal, but let's suppose that it was a big deal. Man, I want you to have peace. I want you to have, um, I want you to have peace. And, and the path to peace is ultimately going to come from, from figuring this out. We're only as sick as the secrets that we keep. If something big did go down, in the vast majority of cases, we're going to do better to go ahead and address this thing, speak out the truth of what the deal is, figure it out, even if it means something really unpleasant in terms of, of the playing out, so that we can get to a place where we're not hiding anymore and we can have peace.
0: A fantastic place to start that off. That's all great stuff. Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I think exactly as Jed is saying, there's one aspect to this is that is just almost on the individual level. Um, You have to deal with some guilt. You have to deal with fear about what are they going to say, but you need to figure out for kind of what your own life, what this is going to mean in those calculations to talk about. There's also the relationship aspect here. Maybe this thing, it's presumably and who knows, but presumably, especially as Jed says, the bigger something gets, the fear that's normally associated with it is this is going to be a relationship ender. Right. I'm going to tell them what I did or what I said, or, you know, whatever the second mortgage I took out and they're going to not going to be with me anymore. Now to Jed's very good point. Once you get to something like that, um, they're going to find out because if you do something's going to be a relationship ender. It's almost guaranteed to involve other people or paperwork or some kind of thing where you are going to get found out there's also the fact of this relationship is not going to be great in between you doing the thing and you getting found out because there's just some things probably going on here that are antithetical to being in a healthy relationship.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: And that applies to the big ways we think, I think it applies to the small as well, but maybe not in exactly the same way. Can you unpack the relationship aspect of this for us. If we want to be able to have a healthy relationship on the other side of whatever happens.
1: Yeah. It's really, it's a really good pitch, really good setup. I really, really loved all the stuff that Jeb was throwing down there. Some of this is going to come directly on the heels of that. I think that there's a calculus that we mentally and emotionally work through, which is I am so afraid of them finding out because I'm afraid of what's going to happen because this relationship means so much to me. So therefore, I'm going to go through all these layers of, um, you know, of self-protection and secrecy or whatever to make sure that they don't find out this thing that I know will hurt them. Because I care about this relationship so much. That's kind of, on some level, that's what that mental calculus looks like. Here is a true statement about all close relationships. It sucks, but it's super true. You will offend or hurt the person you're in a relationship with. Yeah. That's going to happen. There's no way around that. And if you, can, if you can dig it, if you can get on board with this, um, part, of the, part of the process of you as an individual growing as a person and part of the process of you and your partner growing as a couple and as a, and as a friendship and then in a broader sense in the community of people that you are close with is learning how to get to the other side of moments where you hurt and offend someone. Where you make a decision or you made a misstep where you hurt someone, and then you talked that through, you found a better way to communicate, you set up some strategies you maybe it was intentional, maybe it was unintentional, maybe it was a misunderstanding, maybe you just screwed up, maybe you intentionally maybe it was a huge thing that that the the right limit that Jed talked about that was like all the way out, whatever it is like let, I completely agree that, you know, like, like Jed and Matt are saying, the more complex it is, they're going to find out, but even less complex than that, you are going to offend and hurt the feelings of the people that you're in a close relationship with. And part of the growth of that relationship and part of the growth of you as a person individually is knowing how to own that stuff, how to talk about it, how to grow and how to learn. Um, the, I was talking to, uh, Christy and I were talking to our daughters the other day and, um, and, and Christy said a thing that was so interesting, which was, you know, uh, our, our oldest daughter was like, man, you know, this, I'm, I, you know, I don't know if I want to be in a relationship with this guy. And he was talking to me in this certain way. And then I found out that he had kind of gotten set up by his friend and, and, you know, the friend was telling him how to, how to talk to me. And I don't like any of that. And I was like, well, but do you see the effort on his part? Like, he doesn't know how to talk to you. So he was getting advice on how to talk to you. And she's like, yeah, but I want him to be good at talking to me himself. There's gotta be some base layer of something. And Christy, <laughs> Christy was taking the recycling out, turned around and looked at her daughter and said, baby, everybody needs training. <laughs> and it was such a great little moment of truth of like, yeah, yes, you want somebody to naturally know how to talk to you on the At the same time, everybody needs training. Um, that's, that's something that, in certain ways applies to what you're going through. You are going to do things, some things that are big and serious, some things that are going to cause huge fights, some things that are going to be little and not that serious where you hurt and offend. Um, It's always best for your relationship and for your personal growth as a person to go ahead and enter into that space and figure out how to communicate better, how to take it on the chin, how to own up, how to enter into all that humility. I will say this too. In response to... This is just kind of adding on to the coattails of some of the stuff that Jeb was saying about the fact that they're going to find out. This is something that we don't calculate very often, but it needs to be added to the piece of the cheapest price to pay is now. And it goes like this. The longer you wait to be honest about a situation that is going to be hurtful, one of the things that you don't calculate is when you tell that person they start at emotional zero. You have already moved on to a certain amount of self-forgiveness. of, of you, and, and some people are like, you know, I know they forgive me, but I can never forgive myself. Bullcrap, man. You can forgive yourself so fast. It's so ridiculous. Like, you move yourself emotionally through your own garbage so quickly. The longer you wait to tell somebody, they start at zero. And you got to go all the way through that again. Go through it together, man. Um, Go through it together and walk through the emotional um, progress of whatever this thing is together. I promise you it it feels like a thing you don't want to do because you're like, man, I'm going to hurt them. Like these guys have said, they're going to find out. Two, by the way, part of being in a relationship is learning how to hurt and how to get to the other side of that with forgiveness, with new strategies, with better communication with training for everybody involved so that you can be in a stronger relationship. Go through those things together. Go through them soon so that you don't have to start at different layers. Because if if you've already moved yourself through a certain amount of self-forgiveness and stuff like that, and then they find out and they have to start back at zero, you're going to have this bizarre sense of resentment. Man, that is going to be so much more complicated to work through. Go ahead and deal with the, like we said, it's hard to give super specific advice about this because we don't know what you did, but you're going to hurt each other's feelings. You're going to offend each other. Whatever this thing is, they're probably going to find out if it is complex. Go ahead and do it sooner rather than later so you can walk through the emotional landscape together.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. That's all fantastic stuff from from both of these guys. At the end here, I would just echo that kind of what Lee is saying about learning how to do these things and maybe a good criteria for how paramount it probably is to inform the other person is, is this something that you thought or something you did? That's a pretty good dividing line that Jed gave us me because either way, I think to Lee's relationship stuff, I think that will necessitate something on your end because if you have the the thought of, Maybe not the thought of one time. Ah, they didn't clean out the dishwasher. That drives me nuts. Once you get to, they never clean out the dishwasher. Now we have something that you need to deal with your own feelings about. That could be you decide, you know what? I don't always take the trash out. So if I have to clean out the dishwasher because they don't think of it, that's fine. Or you think I need to say, hey, could you please empty out the dishwasher? Because it drives me crazy that it's always full. These are both options. These are both good options to get where you're going if you took out the second mortgage and, you know, bet it on the under or whatever, no, that's this already involves the other person. Yeah. Their yeah, life yeah. is now affected. And there's, even if they don't know yet, their life is affected because they are not in the relationship. They think they are.
2: Wow. Say if that. you
0: did something, so say there was infidelity, maybe there was uh, something really, really big there. Um, this person you maybe if you're worried, they're going to leave you or whatever it may be. This person is not in the relationship they think they are. So whenever mm. they do find out and they will, they're going to have, is it going to be because you brought it to them? You fessed up, you were in a position of, I screwed up big time. I want to make this work. Cause in that moment of them finding out, they're going to be in a new type of relationship. It could be that one, or it could be the, Oh, I was really going to hope I died before you found out. That's kind of what I was banking all this on. And, uh, kind of any any effort I could have put into fixing anything in this relationship, I put into the hiding. So that's where we are. And that is much, 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 much worse. Um, to the point where, and I know this is real tough to get your mind around. if, you're on the other side of this cause there's a fear and it, it sucks to lose a relationship. Um, it is better for you and this person. If you fess up and they leave that, that's what happens. Like I would go so far as to say that because again, the, in, in the sense of the truth will set you free. We can all move on from that in our lives. Um, the three of us on this show have been around for a while. We've known a lot of people. We've been in the unique situation that people, when their life is a total shipwreck, they come to us and that is almost always somewhere between six months and 10 years later than they should have. Yep. Yeah. That is, and the longer that time is the worse it gets. So as these guys use the left and right, great left and right limits, these guys gave you, but I would, I wouldn't, we never tell you what to do on the show, but I would strongly ask you to think about if you're in the situation where you did it, it is bad. They don't know about it. That's there's, there is something salvageable, even if it's low odds, in being honest, wanting to work on it, looking to get to the other side. There's very little salvageable, and I was just gonna keep lying forever. That was my plan for our relationship. That's <laughs> it may, you know, feel like you're getting away with it in the long term, but as as Jed started us with, nobody's good enough at that. So, you know, yep. something to think about. All right, move on. We move on to our second question here. It comes in and says, people talk a lot about not taking Christmas seriously enough. I get that it isn't about commercialization and presents and presents and stuff, but how serious am I supposed to be being here? How do I know when I've hit the appropriate amount? An excellent question. And uh, Jed, how do we start off with people who are being a little silly about Christmas? Maybe we don't care Uh for it.
2: I don't much care for silliness at all. I won't. I won't stand for it, which is why I'm sitting currently.
0: I wish you a somber holidays. <laughs> <laughs> what
1: right have you to be morose? You're rich enough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you're writing your question. People talk a lot about how about not taking Christmas seriously enough. And my my
0: question back to you is: They do? Because I I don't hear that at all, man. Is it maybe one guy that you have to see on Sundays who has a microphone? Oh. Yeah. I think there's I think
2: there's two options. It could be one guy you have to see on somebody has a microphone, or it could be uh the power of the echo chamber that you hang out in, where you happen to live a life where you're exposed to a very specific set of voices that talk about the same thing over and over and over again. And so, um, not to dodge your question, but whether it's the preacher at your church or the echo chamber you hang out in, for example, online, like, are you aware of the voices in your life that are authoritative and influential that are also just kind of making stuff up mm. because that, that would be really good to be aware of like echo chambers can kind of spring into existence, you know, without a particular intention, but many of them are actually designed to do exactly what they do, which is to warp your brain. Um, they're, they're kind of meant to do that. And I, I think it would be important and I think it'd be healthy for you to have a sense of, when you've gotten intentionally or otherwise into something that's really a, an echo chamber or a closed loop in your life. Like if I came to you and I said, Hey, you know what? I feel like you're just not taking sweetest day seriously enough at all. Right? Like, you know, this, this stuff really matters. I think you would laugh because that's an absurd idea. Most of the Christmas celebration is about as significant as sweetest day, which is an entirely fabricated holiday to sell candy and flowers, my man, like, um, the both Lee and Matt would know more about this than I do, but like most of Christmas is completely stolen from pagan holidays. (laughs) So, uh, like how, how seriously are we supposed to take, you know, cultural appropriation from the Teutons? Like what, what is, what is the goal here? I mean, basically i think that there's a a couple of of options you know if it's your if it's your pastor i mean like dude for a lot of pastors man they just want to feel like they're doing something and and people being really somber and solemn and serious is like one way they can feel like they're getting the job done that has nothing to do with getting the job of pastor done but it's 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 something that they that is pretty common for a lot of pastors to think but just so you know, the, the echo chambers, particularly online, that are kind of intentionally designed to be that way, people are trying to manipulate you because they want you to vote for, political, for certain political positions. Like, it may be a little bit hard to track where all of that's going, but you're being scammed, man. Like, if you're hanging out places online and it's an echo chamber, and it's just, oh, people, they won't, they won't even say Merry Christmas anymore. Nobody takes it seriously anymore. That is all a part of a political campaign. Yeah. Just, just so you know, it's not about your faith. It's not about religion. It's a political campaign. Hundred percent. I, I want to offer two more things for you to think about. The first is one kind of unintentional echo chamber we can all wind up in is when we come up around something where it's actually not very common. It's just it just happens to be the case that everybody we know does it. Like I have a friend who came up around a lot of professional athletes, a lot of professional wakeboarders and a professional water skiers. That has influenced my friend's perception of what a normal hobby looks like. If you've only ever known people that do their hobby 12 hours a day, seven days a week, then you do not have a normal or typical sense of what a hobby looks like. And that's, that's cool. But it, it, it's important to, to be aware. I, I, I probably don't have the, the most representative view of, of what a hobby is, right? It's so like, if you grew up, for example, working at Santa's village and your dad was the manager of Santa's village, and you helped all year long to assemble Christmas tree ornaments, you probably don't have a representative view of the importance of Christmas festivities in the world.
0: What you do have is the first act of a Hallmark movie.
2: (laughs) 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 Part of growth and part of maturity is recognizing when you've had a profoundly non-typical experience. That doesn't make it intrinsically bad. That doesn't mean that you need to judge it, but being aware when you've had a non-typical experience is going to help you figure out what box to put that experience in. And that's the part that really, really matters is figuring out what box we put our experiences in so that we know how to process them and move forward. But Here's the one other thing. And, and I really want you to, to think about this. Evangelicalism, one of its number one tools that it uses to keep control over people is to insist you have to take our stuff super seriously. Our stuff is important, and you must take it seriously, because anything else is a disrespect to God. Problem here is the vast majority of stuff in evangelicalism is completely made up, and not only completely made up, made up recently. Many of the core beliefs that define evangelicalism are like 200 years old at most. Christianity is a lot older than that, like a lot older than that. And when you look at the core experiences of Christ- of evangelicalism, at least in America today, dude, most of that stuff is no older than the 1990s. I mean, like, I'm older than most of the stuff in evangelicalism. And that's saying something because I'm not that old. So when they come to you and they have that message of, you have to, this is so important. You have to take this super seriously. No, you don't. No, you don't. You, you can look at basically every trapping of evangelicals and be like, no, nah, I'm not feeling that. And that includes like 99.99% of Christmas. Celebrate Christmas however you want, and then show your love for Jesus by living it out the rest of the
0: year. Mm. Well put. Great stuff to start us off there. And Lee, let, let's take a slightly different tack here. So I think Jed is, is definitely running the echo chamber stuff and hearing stuff from the pulpit. There is also the kind of ambient expression of what he was describing there of people got to take this super serious because they got to take me super serious of reason for the season and put the Christ in Christmas, which is there. It's it's in the name. It's most of the word. We already did that part. (laughs) But so there is kind of this ambient idea, which is like a lot of stuff in evangelical culture and church culture is not defined or aimed. Like here's a sermon that's never been preached. Actually, you, uh, Jim, sitting there, you give enough. The right. the you got to give ser- more sermon, not about you, so you can just tune out. It's always more uh, in that kind of broad way. So I do like this this part of the question of okay, there's a certain amount of whatever I should you know be taking Christmas. What have I hit? It is can you hit it? Because the message you're getting from the the sign of reason for the season is no, whatever you're doing, do more. But how do we know when we've hit like an actual balance here?
1: Well, I think the first thing, and and this is some of this is going to go along with the things that Jeb was saying is that with a lot of stuff and, and gosh, Christmas is definitely part of this, but a lot of church stuff is you would do well to do a blanket. Relax. Just, over everything, just relax. like just chill and absolutely relax. I like the way that you were you were uh, setting that up of like the idea that so much of this stuff doesn't, so much of the stuff that we do in church or so much of the stuff we do, that we do with Christmas doesn't really have a focus or a focal point to it. So let's let's establish one and see if the relax fits with that. Let's just say like, okay. When it comes to Christmas, what we're looking for is, we're looking for some some values. Like, I'm looking for some peace, and I'm looking for some joy. Let's just take those two things. We can agree that those two things are pleasant, those two things are good, and those two things, by the way, are just riddled throughout everything that the Scripture says about whatever you would classify as Christmas. So, like, take evangelical culture out of it. Let's just look at the Scriptures. Peace and joy are part of the Christmas story. So what if we, what if we aimed at peace and joy? The funny thing is, is that the idea of taking everything super serious or getting everything exactly right or hitting all the traditions or whatever, well, all of those things immediately eradicate peace and joy. Like I I feel strain in my back and I feel stressed and I feel like I'm running out of time immediately. Um, when I think of I'm not taking this seriously enough, or I'm not doing enough, or whatever. I loved your idea of the you know somebody getting in the pulpit and saying, "Hey, uh, church, the giving thing, you did it. We're doing great. Well we Well done, it. everybody. Yeah, what, what? Pat on the back. Sermon over. Enjoy being first in line at the golden corral or whatever it is. Like that. That's fantastic. What if your aim for Christmas was, you know? scripturally speaking uh, peace and joy is super important there so i'm going to take a blanket uh, uh policy of relax and then whatever promotes my own personal and my community and my family some peace and joy in our festivities i'm going to i'm going to hammer down on those things and i'm going to do that um so maybe that doesn't mean uh you know making it to Every service or every mass or whatever, maybe it doesn't mean, uh, you know, uh, baking a million cookies for all the parties or whatever it is, but maybe it does mean, um, meeting with these people and going on a walk or something like that. And that's gonna when they come into town from whatever, whatever to visit their family. I'm gonna make that a priority. All that to say, if we took uh, just a the blanket policy of relax, and then we said let's focus that in the direction of. I'm going to have a little more peace and a little more joy. You would actually be hitting a whole lot more of what it means based on the Bible to celebrate Christmas. And by the way, you would be um, undoing and refuting a lot of the stuff that Jed's talking about, which has been the aim of evangelical culture the entire time, which is be as hardcore as possible, be as into this as possible. Let's all relax. Let's look for a little peace and joy. And then let's start to maybe, if you want to have some traditions, establish some traditions on those things, things that bring some peace and things that bring some joy.
0: Totally. That is all great stuff as well. And it is worth when thinking about when we think about the, either be a voice from the stage or kind of the people around that echo chamber stuff that Jeb was talking about, the kind of more ambient stuff Lee was talking about relax is a great way to a great lens to view that through. I think because we need to figure out, is the person who's saying this weird thing coming from a relaxed place or mm. kind of the opposite of that? Cause especially even, you know, fairly good cultures and churches and, and pastors, you occasionally get the, I think you're kind of arguing with a ghost here, pastor of you'll hear a lot of, you know, it wasn't a silent night. Yeah. It's, it's a metaphor. Cause Peace, like we know childbirth, yeah, scary. People know that that's that's like a thing people are aware of at this point. Right. There's that part. There's he came to die. Yeah, we I'm aware of Easter, but we're doing the Christmas part now. <laughs> like I've I we've covered some stories and we've known some people where it's it is a different holiday, but I think it's the same idea that's going on here. Of there's some churches, pastors, people who they really like Good Friday because it's dour and serious and violence and feels that stuff. And they really try to keep as much of that going into Easter Sunday as they can, yeah. To the point where we don't really like, yeah, but yeah, death. But the whole point of this one is conquered. Like, there's, you know, the sting, and we don't do the sting anymore. And I just no. But what about what about the the flesh was stripped from his bones? Yeah, but that was that was Friday's whole different thing. Now we we get to do this now. So there's this takes back back where we started with Jed talking about these people people really wanting to be serious. There's the idea that a serious is better than peace and joy, which we're not going with you on that, and also that things like violence and negativity and dourness and depression are the only ways to get too serious. So I think what what Lee gave us there is a really really good antidote to that. Of why don't you get serious about peace? Why don't you get serious mm. about joy? Wringing all those out of this this holiday season because for a lot of people and a lot of you know traditions like up it's it's there's more on the table it's easier to be there people are in a better mood so go go out and get some of it yeah and the, i think a, a really really cool
1: thing about that if you made that your focal point is just uh being willing to admit that i might need to go on a little journey of self discovery there i might not know what equals any of my peace or joy i might have been told my entire life that this is the right thing to do and this is how you get this but i might not know like the 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 fact of the matter is that so many people have no idea what they actually enjoy what they mm-hmm. actually like mm-hmm. um if 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 we started with the blanket concept of relax this is my policy for the christmas holidays i'm going to relax and my goal is i would like to enjoy things and that may that may take some time that may take me a few christmases to figure out what i actually jo- enjoy what actually brings me joy and peace because I've been spoon fed. This is what you should enjoy my entire life. That doesn't mean I enjoy that. And so that would be a, an interesting journey of self discovery as well.
0: Absolutely right. Actually, I think that brings us to a great point, a kind of a practical thing that I would be happy to um, hit on here. If some, probably a little late, if you're listening to this on when it comes out on the 21st, I believe, but it's a great idea for next year. If you want to guarantee that you have done Christmas as serious and Christian, as it can be, a lot of uh, nonprofits, particularly ones that work with kids, so that might be foster care, that might be shelters, that might be just that might be immigrant or refugee charities. Find one in your area. I bet they have an Amazon wish list. Mm-hmm. You can buy toys for children who are in that kind of buy. Buy a toy for a child refugee. Congratulations, you have taken Christmas as seriously as any human being can you can now enjoy gingerbread houses and lights and stuff because you, you did that the day after Thanksgiving. You did it. No one with a sign in their yard or a weird rant about not uh, happy holidays is going to out serious you in Christmas. Cause you bought a, you did something kind for a child who is away from their homeland. That's as Christmas as it gets. Congratulations. You did it. Now you're freed up. So sometimes, um, as, as Lee is saying, if you're not really sure what makes you happy or what the joy of the season is, Go for something super obvious. That is some Miracle on 34th Street stuff. It is low-hanging fruit. It does a nice thing. Always a great place to start. All right, we're going to jump to our final question. Here it comes in and says, There was so much talk about the Proverbs 31 woman in purity culture stuff. It's hard to look at that chapter without all that stuff in it. But what should we really be taking away from it? A very cool question. And in a competition of what is the most weird, I don't know, misquoted, but weirdly interpreted anyway, Passage it to the entire scripture. This one's got to be way up there. So Jed, where would we start kind of without all that baggage?
2: Yeah. Well, thank you for the question. And in terms of the baggage, I'm sorry people put that stuff on you. Um, yeah. That wasn't cool. Um, it hurt a lot of people. It certainly hurt me. Um, and if it hurt you, I'm I'm sorry. And I'm sorry that you had to deal with that. Um, the whole Proverbs 31 woman thing is is particularly weird because... That passage of Proverbs 31 doesn't say anything about sex at all in any way. Um, It doesn't say anything about purity in any way. It doesn't say anything about modesty of clothing in any way. Like, this does not have to do with anything. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in there, actually. But, like, there's... Like, again, I, I... I feel like I'm 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 you know taking bonkers pills here. Like there there's nothing sexual, like anywhere. Like there's parts of the Bible that are like way sexual, like they're NC seventeen, but like Proverbs is not one of them. And particularly Proverbs thirty one. Like that's it's it's just not there. It it actually it appears to be describing a businesswoman. Matt, what you got?
0: Well, I was going to say, I was just thinking the same thing. Very odd that purity culture made um, Song of Solomon, not at all about sex, but this yeah. kind of their cornerstone idea about sex, which is right. like missing the point in a way that's almost impressive.
2: <laughs> yeah, we, we salute your cluelessness, purity culture. Um, <laughs> like one of the things that Bible scholars, which I am not one, but one of the things they talk about is, and I quote the plain reading of the text, meaning like, don't, don't overthink it. The plain reading of the text is that you're basically talking about a businesswoman here um, she 's she's a businesswoman, she 's an entrepreneur, she 's a, a CEO at the very least of a small company um, like she's she's clearly the person in charge and she 's the leader um, that 's the plain reading of the wife of noble character from proverbs thirty one um, that 's not me putting like a modern spin on it that 's what it's describing is a person with multiple business interests who manages all of them and um if you want to do that, that's cool. Like, if that's if that's something that you're interested in, that's great. There's a few things to note from that. The first is that this wildly undercuts um, the people, which I am super not one of them, who believe that men should just intrinsically have authority over women because right. the woman in this chapter is is super-duper in charge, and she's super-duper the one running all of these businesses. Um, and it is also, since I'm here, I'm just going to note that women are are portrayed clearly in leadership in both the Old and the New Testament. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's actually not
0: being like, good at instruction is one of the things that's laid out in Proverbs 31.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like instructing people. So, um, but, but here's something that, that I do, I want you to think about because I think American culture misses it a lot. I think evangelical misses it a lot evangelicalism misses it a lot is I want to encourage you to be where one standard of what excellence looks like. Amen truth is like when you ask most people are you creative people who can do artsy things like yeah i'm creative and people who who don't really do artsy things like no i'm not very creative man there's an infinite number of ways to be creative there are so many forms of creativity in the world you can be creative at the way you cook You can be creative at the way you show kindness to other people. You can be creative at the business decisions that you make. Yeah, you can be creative at the way that you paint. You can be creative at the way you write music. You can be creative at the way you do math. I mean, there are are limitless ways to be creative. Similarly, if you ask most people, like, are you smart? The first thing they think of is, what kind of grades did I get in school? Dude, there are limitless ways to be smart. There are all kinds of intelligence. And even within book smarts. Good grades in third grade doesn't translate necessarily to good grades in 11th grade doesn't translate necessarily to good grades in postgraduate school. Like things come and go in seasons. People have all different kinds of strengths. People have all different kinds of ways that the amazing person that God made them to be comes to bear in the world. There's not really such a thing as a person who is not creative. And there's not really such a thing as a person who is not smart. There are people who are creative in their own way. There are people who are smart in their own way. There are people who are talented in their own way. Again, when I here's why this matters. When I read Proverbs 31, um, I think it's it the plain reading of the text is is mostly describing a businesswoman. It's mostly describing an entrepreneur. You don't have to do any of those things. Like right. the takeaway here is not that Jesus wants you to be a businesswoman and an entrepreneur. Like you, you should be who you are. Like, it's, it's cool that, that the writer of this text chose, you know, this example. I'm sure there are cool reasons for it, but this is not a prescriptive thing of telling you what your life needs to look like. There's stuff that's in your heart that you want to do just because you want to do it. You should do those things. There's other stuff that's in your heart because you want to help other people and you think it'd be a way to help other people. You should do those things. There's stuff that's in your heart because it's just the way that you relate to God and you relate to other people. You should do those things. You should be the person that you are and recognize that the world needs that. We need that. And God wants that. God made you the way that you are on purpose. Both the things that you recognize as strengths and the things that you're, you're not sure if they're strengths or not. God made you the way that you are on purpose. You don't need to fit into somebody else's jumpsuit, into somebody else's standard. You be you. Live into you. Figure out what brings you to life and then live out a life where you're fully alive. Man, if you're doing that, you're as noble and excellent as anyone has ever gotten or ever will get.
0: Do not try to put on someone else's jumpsuit is excellent advice, both in the metaphorical, but maybe even more so in the practical. (laughs) Only your own jumpsuit, please. And only in that case, freshly laundered. So all fantastic stuff there. Great way to start that (laughs) off, Lee. How would we close this out?
1: Yeah, the way purity culture spun this. And and I, I know this because of conversations that I've had with my wife, because being a dude, the purity culture didn't, didn't do this to me, but it did do this to girls in the nineties. And what, what my wife has told me is the feeling that we had is if we weren't this person, no good guy would be interested in us. That, that was what happened. If I'm not this exact person, which is why I so appreciate what Jed just said, and I hope that, I hope that everybody hears it, but I also, I especially hope that people who are now in their 30s and 40s and grew up in all that nonsense <laughs> get a chance to hear that. And I just can't, I can't wait for certain people to hear it just to, so they can rewind it and listen to it again and again. This is what people were told. You have to be this person it it's an absolute ridiculous thing there's so many different kinds of people what there's for me as i look at this take it out of the purity culture thing take it out of the advice of everybody has to fit in one mold all that kind of all that kind of garbage all that kind of crap what can i get from this that is instructive and the thing that i can get out of this from the perspective of a parent is you see in this you see in this passage basically a mom saying to her son this is how I hope this is you know. I hope that you uh, find a person like this. Um, here is this person that that I know, or here is this person. Here is a type of person, or whatever. And I can say from the, the from the perspective of a parent that I hope that my children, in choosing not just someone to be with, not just a partner, but in choosing friends and a community and all that kind of stuff, I hope that they know how to look at a person and see what they bring to the table. Not that we specifically have to have this type of person who can run a business, who can instruct people, who can, you know, uh, make certain kinds of cloth out of flax or whatever, you know, all the different things that are listed in the highly specific, you know, uh, you know, minutia of Proverbs 31. But as a parent, I would look at my own kids and say, in the choosing of your community and all that kind of stuff, do you know how to be in relationship with people and know what's super cool about them? And know what they bring to the table and know why you want to be in a community with them or why you want to be in a relationship with that person or know why, like can you look at your friends and say like, yeah, we're friends and I'll tell you why we're friends. This is something I super value in you. I could tell you immediately a number of things that I value and I love about being friends with both Matt and Jed. And I could tell you the exact same thing about the people in my home and the people that I hang out with on a regular basis. And I like the idea of the people that, that I care about knowing things that they value in me as well. That they, that they see like, I'm not just friends with him because we were on a soccer team together when we were nine years old. No, I'm friends with this person because they bring these things to the table. As an individual, as a person, they bring these things to our community and to our life. Or they bring these things to our marriage or to our friendship. And I think that's a valuable skill set to be able to, to look at somebody and say, this is what's super duper cool about this person. My wife instigated a tradition in our home, which is when it's somebody's birthday in the house, um, they, first of all, they get, to, they get to have whatever they want for dinner. Um, and everybody's eating whatever, that, whatever the birthday person wants for dinner. And that's just a fun, uh, fun tradition. But at some point in the dinner, um, we're all gonna go around the table and we're gonna look at that person in the eye and tell them, hey, here's something I love about you. It's an intentional moment just to say, this is something cool that you bring to the table. That's something instructive and cool that I see that if we could remove some of the the stain and the and the and some of the kind of trauma and garbage from what purity culture did in weaponizing this scripture against people and making them feel like they they didn't meet a standard or whatever, which is by the way. Meeting a standard is not something that has anything to do with our religion in any way. Literally, God came down, stooped to meet the standard for everyone so that we don't have to meet the standard. Um, That's not what our religion is about. But um, if we could say, hey, the people that you're going to align your life with, the people that you're going to throw your lot in with, the people that you're going to build a community with, um, can you express and understand? What they bring to the table, what unique is what is unique and cool about those people, and can you honor that and, and talk to them about it and build each other up and encourage each other? I think it's a great skill to have, and it's something that I could pull out of this as like, hey, just to, to answer that part of the question of like, what's Proverbs thirty one all about? Well, that's something I get out of it, and I think that it's something that would be it's something I hope my kids are good at, and it's something that I hope my friends are good at, and it's something that I want to be good at at as well as seeing the unique. Individual beautiful things about the people that I am aligning my life with.
0: That is great stuff from both of these guys on this question and all of our questions tonight. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, we yeah, have the song this week, one last Christmas tune. This is the Poolhouse Guru's version of Oh Holy Night. Very fun song to have that. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Oh, oh,